One or two going out there. You might like to start in the book of Genesis and we'll work our way through to the book of Revelation. It's always an ominous sort of thought, isn't it, when you start in the book of Genesis. But it's chapter 5 that we're going to. In chapter 5 it deals with the, uh, uh, the history of some of the uh, Old Testament patriarchal type people. And uh, it gets down to a man called Enoch, which no doubt we have heard of at least to some degree. And if you start in verse 21, we read that uh, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Now next Tuesday, Michael Mason turns 65 as it turns out. Uh, I don't want to make a big deal about this. And, but we're going out tonight, uh, for those who'd like to, to uh, Marinda Highway, somewhere 99 Marinda Highway, at some, uh, what's it called? Sophemas? No, that's not. That's Sophemas, our sister. What is it? Sophia? Sophia's or whatever. Um, now, now there's two choices here. You've got Michael. You can either become a father or have meals at Sophia's. Which do you want? A meal tonight? Okay. All right. Well, Enoch became a father at 65 years of age. It's a mind-boggling concept. Uh, however, he wasn't the older person that has ever done this, but he was 65. That was his birthday present, Methuselah. And not only did he have a child, he had the child for the longest time of anybody because Methuselah lived 969 years. Fancy having a kid for 969 years. You think of the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and they're all coming home. There'd be hundreds of them all over the place. You'd have to get a computer to work out who was who. And even that probably wouldn't do you much good, particularly if it was my computer. Anyway, Enoch, uh, we read there, lived 65 years and uh, finally, well, he didn't have the child, but his wife no doubt did, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. Now, we're not told a lot about Enoch in the Bible. There's a little bit in Hebrews. I'll mention that in a moment. There's a little bit in the book of Jude and uh, in this bit here. And we read here that uh, Enoch walked with God. And uh, after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. We're told that twice. No doubt is an indication of the sort of the Bible numeric scheme here of, of reminding us that, that he walked separate from the world, obviously, and from the ways of the world. He walked with God as distinct from walking the course of this world. And as a consequence of that, if you live a holy life, there's a message here. If you live a holy life, a godly life, if you walk with God and make the deliberate choice to do so, guess what happens? And he was not, for God took him. Now, this is only an illustration back here. There are people who want to know what happened to him, you know. Uh, where did he go? Did they give him a room? Did they give him a house? Uh, has he got some mansion up there? Uh, how did he dress? Uh, what did he look like? And so on. That is totally 100% irrelevant. The message here is that this man walking by faith was translated by God. We're not really involved in what happened after that because that's not the point. If you read in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Enoch was translated. If you don't know what that means, he was taken up. He was transferred from here to wherever. That he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him or taken him. For before his translation, before God took him, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Now what we read in the Old Testament is that he walked with God. So walking with God is obviously pleasing God. And if you walk with God and you please God, then God will take you. There are no alternatives. You can't half be going. You're either going or not going. 
God is going to take us or not take us. We're going to please him, we're going to walk with him, and God will do the rest. Now, we don't know much about his life, but we do know that the result of his life was translation. And that's not a message for just Enoch's day or just for Enoch himself. That's a message for all of us. That if we live a a separate life, if we walk with God, if we do those things that are well-pleasing to God, then God will translate us. There's a day coming soon when we are going to be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. In the book of Jude, it says, Enoch said uh, about a judgment. He said, the Lord's coming to execute judgment upon all. This is quoted in the book of Jude about Enoch. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, there's a lot of ungodlies in there because a lot of ungodly stuff that goes around. Now, no doubt, uh, uh, Noah, uh, Enoch here was uh, uh, thinking about the future and uh, no, the Lord has spoken about perhaps the flood and so on and the judgment against the, the, that generation and the coming generations. But no doubt it also speaks beyond that about the Lord coming back and executing judgment upon all of this planet and against uh, all the ways uh, that are ungodly, that ungodly sinners ungodly commit. That's the way of it. So this man by faith was translated because he lived that sort of life now in the bible faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god you cannot execute faith except that you hear god's word and you act accordingly that's what faith is faith is hearing god's word and living your life accordingly regardless of the evidence regardless of what else is happening regardless of what's taking place in your life regardless of what other people are doing or what they're saying or where they're trying to lead you faith is about doing what God says so you can't do what God says unless you hear what God says so somehow or other Enoch had a message from God God somehow or other got a message through to Enoch I don't know whether it was a direct message it might have been even it says here by faith Enoch was translated maybe God told Enoch Enoch you live a life that's well pleasing to me and I'll translate you maybe as an illustration to the rest of the world I'll make you the example I'll translate you as an illustration that anybody who does it my way walks with me according to my principles I'll translate them and uh and that's what happened he was translated he was taken he was not for God took him so whatever Enoch was told one thing is for certain he believed God and he did it and whatever we're told it's the same message believe God and live your life accordingly now I want to talk about walking with God now lots of people do a lot of walking I mean, so it's a great fad, apparently. You know, people say you've got to walk 10,000 steps or something or other in a week, and that'll do the job. I don't know what job it'll do, but uh, uh, that's the answer, apparently. It'll make you fighting fit, and uh, you'll be a wonderfully more wholesome person. You'll have a better outlook on life. You'll be emotionally stable, and everything will just slot into place. Now, I haven't actually worked that yet, but, uh, you know, they tell me it's a good thing to do, and, uh, and I'm happy to listen to them. Well, I haven't actually put into operation yet. But there's a lot of people that have done some things about walking. And in fact, I read an article here about an adult education centre which was offering courses in walking. Now, a particular professor said, so I'm told, quote, there's a lot more to walking than merely putting one foot in front of the other. Walking can also be an important means of communication and a valuable emotional outlet. Once you master the various gates and paces 
a whole new world of self-expression opens up to you. Our education centre offers two courses in walking. One, beginning pedestrianism, course 110, and basic promenading, course 411. The former course offers introductory instruction in the elementary steps, tramping, trudging, plodding, shuffling and so forth, with maybe a smattering of shambling. The latter course gives the student a rudimentary grasp of more advanced forms of walking, such as strolling, sauntering and sidling. That's what it says. That's all that I know. Now, that's enough of that. The longest walk I read in the Guinness Book of Records, you see what I do in my spare time, um, the greatest distance claimed for a around-the-world walker is 58,982 kilometres by an Arthur Blessed of North Fort Myers, Florida, United States of America. <coughs> In more than 35 years since December the 25th, 1969, he has been to all seven continents, covered, I think, 300 countries, including the Antarctica, and he did it carrying, this is 58,982 kilometres, carrying a 3.7 metre, or if you like, 12-foot cross, and preaching as he walked. 58,000 kilometres. That's why he's called Arthur Blessed, really. Um, the Guinness Book of Records recognised st that Stanley Rich Licky, I'm not sure he, that might not be the way I pronounce his name, that's what's got here though. The Guinness Book of Records recognised Stanley Rich Licky of Caledonia for his amazing record of having walked over 210,000 kilometres during his 40 year career as a pipeline worker. He holds the world record for his lifelong achievement of the longest walking distance covered over a working career. And it goes on to say, Congratulations, Stanley E. Rich Licky. Your family and the entire community are very proud of you. That's what it says. An Australian man has attempted to set a world record for walking the most dogs single-handedly. His name was Andrew Larkey. So for a bit of a lark, he tried to get his name in the Guinness Book of Records by walking 19 dogs at once in Sydney. The attempt began, this is what it says, the attempt began chaotically with Mr Larkey being pulled in 19 different directions at once. But he eventually managed to single-handedly control 11 of the various hounds over a one-kilometre walk. And Mr Larkey now believes that he has done enough to set the record, although clarification is still awaiting from the Guinness Book of Records. Now, that's a lot of nonsense, isn't it? But that's what the world does, a whole range of stuff, all centred around walking. And I'm not decrying walking. I think it's a good thing to do. I think if you're really motivated, you should get up at 6 o'clock, have your half-hour prayer, and go walking. As for me, in my house, we will do something a little different to that. But you can, uh, you can set the, the record straight and do what you want to do. But one thing is for certain. Whatever amount of walking you do in the natural sense, whether, how many dogs you've got, or how many crosses you're carrying, or how many pipelines you're sort of following, it makes no difference. It will not achieve anything. It is only walking with God that will get you translated. That's the only thing. And you don't need to be in the Guinness Book of Records. You need to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's how it works. And it says uh, in the Amplified Bible of verse uh, 24 here that Enoch enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. In other words, they translated that particular translation that he walked with God as he enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. And that's what walking with God is, surely. Establishing a re close relationship with God on a daily basis. It's rather interesting, it may be purely coincidence, but this man who walked with God lived 365 years. And maybe because there's 365 days in a year approximately, then we might be mindful this could be, well, a daily walk. In other words, you can't just decide, well, maybe I'll walk once a week with the Lord or I'll, I'll walk uh, when it suits me. 
the message perhaps here, even if it's not necessarily in these 365 days, we can certainly talk about it because the Bible speaks really of a daily relationship with our God. Let's go over to chapter 6 and another man in this list here. And verse 6, and God says here, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now this is language designed for us, not from God's perspective, really from our perspective. It's not that God has spat the dummy in the corner and he's just feeling miserable there. What have I done? Why have I done this sort of thing? This is language for us to understand that really God's very disappointed in, uh, in the way we've dealt with things back then and, and still today of course and the Lord said in verse 7 I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord these are the generation of Noah Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation or upright in his generations and Noah walked with God so here's another man who walked with God and there's a good consequence of walking with God. In Enoch's case, walking with God meant translation. But it's got to be combined with this, because along with translation comes judgment. And this was judgment. And it was Enoch that spoke of judgment. And it was Noah also that continued to remind people, if you're going to walk this way, the ways of the world, then you will have the judgment of God down upon you. But if you walk with God, you will be safe. You'll be secure. You'll bypass judgment and God will translate you. It says in the Amplified, Noah walked in habitual fellowship with God. So Enoch had a close relationship with God on a daily basis, and habitually, as a practice, as a matter of course, as a habit, as a process of life, Noah also walked with God. It wasn't something he did uh, here and there. It was an ongoing process. Now there's a message for us. Because in the case of Noah, we know the flood came down and the boat went up. Now, don't forget, he was also warned. We read about him in the book of uh, Hebrews as well. Hebrews chapter 11, I just quote it for you. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. It's only walking with God that saves you from destruction. It's only walking with God that gives you in a place of safety. And you know that every time you come to a meeting, as it were, every time you're involved in the things of the Lord, your daily walking with God condemns the world. It lets the world know that there is judgment coming and you've got to be in it or you're going to cop it. It's as simple as that. Now, we might like to bypass all of that and say God is this and God is that and God wouldn't do this and so We know what God has done. We know how God has poured out his wrath. He's given us examples. We also know that if you walk with God, God is prepared to, and he's told Enoch this, I'll translate you. He told Noah, you'll be safe. Now, it doesn't look sensible. Go and build this great thing. It took a long time to build. It was quite a bit of an effort. There was a lot of mocking and scoffing. I mean, why are you doing this now? This is ridiculous. And yet despite the, the outward uh, evidence or the outward uh, approach by other people and so on, the faith part of Noah said, I'm doing this because God said so. It's not about whether we think it's logical or not. It's not about whether we have a, 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 an opinion that favours it or not. 
It's not about whether it suits us or not. It's not about what other people may think of us or not. It's not about the reactions of the world. It's about what God said. And if we're going to be men and women of faith, we must do what God says. If we find ourselves arguing with the word of God, guess who will come off second best? God's not going to alter. God's not going to change his rules. God isn't going to sit down at the negotiating table with anybody and, uh, and uh, rewrite it. It's going to be the way it is. And we've got to recognize, yes, if it is the way it is, well, it's safe and secure. Enoch went up. I don't know where he went to, but we're going, going up in due course. There's a, a, a fiery judgment coming against this world, and we'll be safe in the church, in the spirit-filled realm. We'll be safe and secure walking with God. Let's go over to the book of Micah. Can you find that? Find Joel, Amos, keep going, Obadiah, Jonah, keep going, and then Micah, chapter 6. <coughs> and we actually sing this one, and we could all sing it now, perhaps, but we won't. Verse 8, Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the margin it says, to humble yourself, to walk with God. I suppose there's a difference there, isn't there? We need to humble ourselves. We need to uh, lower our own estimations and start looking to the word of the Lord. In other words, it's about faith, isn't it? It's not about our opinions and our thoughts and our ideas and what we've come with and the baggage we're carrying. It's about turning to God and saying, well, this is your word. I will walk in it. This is the way you've ordained. Walk ye in it, the Bible says. And so we'll do that. In Deuteronomy it says, what does the Lord require of this? The same thing. But to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways. So we respect the Lord. Maybe even a bit of awe in inspiring from the things of the Lord and we'll walk in his ways to love him to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and to keep his commandments for your own good it says keep his commandments do it his way follow his requirements which is all about walking in harmony with him you know he's not going to adjust himself he's not required to do that he's not going to align himself up with us we've got to align ourselves up with him We've got to find out what he wants. We've got to do it his way. We've got to make sure that our life is living in accordance to him. How can two walk together, the Bible says in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, except they agree? Now, it's not, it's not a matter of saying to God, do you agree with what I'm doing? <laughs> now, of course he doesn't. We've got to find out, God, what do you want me to do? I will be in agreement with you. So he's, he's, he's charging off. He's doing some power walking. And I mean, there's no greater power than the power of God that created the universe. When God does some power walking, wow, that would probably shake the universe. Off he goes. God's power walking. We better catch up. We better get alongside him. We better walk with him. We better do some power walking too. Holy Ghost and power walking. We need to walk in the Spirit, motivated by the Spirit, led of the Spirit, after the Spirit, aligning ourselves up with him, harmony with his word. Let's go to Ephesians, New Testament, chapter 2. And verse 1. It says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We know what that process means. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit. Wherein in time past, before we received the Holy Spirit, you walked 
according to the course of this world. You followed the paths of the world. Sometimes literally, of course, but, but we're talking here about just generally the ways of the world. According to the prince of the world, a power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The Amplified says, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against God and his purposes. Among whom also we all had our conversational way of life, our walking processes in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. The Amplified Bible puts it very well. You are following the course and fashion of this world. You are under the sway and tendency of this present age. That was our life. In most cases, we knew no better. We just simply followed our friends or our family or our work associates or just how the life took us or the things that appealed to us on television or in magazines or you know, just generally around the place. And, and we just meandered like a river, uh, just following the course of least resistance and, uh, and just going wherever the, uh, the winds of chance and time and uh, appeal would take us. Just as the, another translation says, you went along with the crowd and were just like all the others modern translation but it puts it well chapter 4 still in Ephesians and verse 17 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind the uselessness the futility of their minds believing it's okay believing it's satisfying believing it's taking you somewhere believing it's going to give you a good result it's uh, purposeless and empty it's saying here having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, not walking with God, of course, God's powering on and we're meandering our way, following the whims and fancies of life and all those things that appeal to the flesh and to the emotions and to the mind and, and uh, personal satisfaction or whatever. Through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness well lasciviousness is a wonderful word it actually means reckless readiness for every self-indulgence how about that for reckless readiness for every self-indulgence is that the word that describes the world today yes is that the course that the world is following? Yes. Is that the course that many people are just ambling along and just meandering through? Yes, of course it is. And the Bible makes a comparison about walking after the flesh, being motivated by the flesh, being prompted by the flesh as distinct from walking after the Spirit. The Bible makes a choice between walking the course of this world or walking with God. That's the choices we have. There are no other choices there's no three paths there's only two there's a broad way the course of this world after the flesh lasciviousness what a great word lasciviousness or it's a narrow specified God-given God-directed path and we walk with God you either walk with God or you don't walk with God if you don't walk with God, it doesn't really matter other, what label you put on it. It doesn't matter how you pretty it up, how you uh, present it, how you package the deal. If you're not walking with God, you go to hell. You might go to hell in a different way to someone else, you might think, but it makes no difference. You suffer the consequences of God's judgment. And the Bible said, Enoch told us that the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon this planet. He's coming, all right to execute judgment on those on the broad way who are doing, doing it in the vanity of their mind. 
And the Bible reminds us in various places. For example, it says uh, in Psalm 1, Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's some good sound advice, isn't it? Don't get caught up with the counseling of this world. Be careful. What can an ungodly person tell you about walking in the Spirit? It's impossible. You might learn some things. Of course, go and get some counsel from your plumber. Or, uh, that, that might help you a bit or somewhere else, by all means. And you might even get a little bit of help here and there in other departments. But be warned, it's not about spirituality here. And there are some people who present themselves in some sort of spiritual light. Not actually plumbers particularly, but, but there are others that present themselves as having some understanding of the philosophy of life and, and the way of life and so on. Be warned, the Bible says. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You walk with God. It says in Proverbs 13, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Be careful who your friends are. Be careful, the Bible says, who you're walking with in your day-to-day affairs of life. If you want to walk with the, the, the ways of the world, well, you might end up being destroyed. Be careful, it's saying here. Now, it's not a matter of uh, getting out of the world. We can't become uh, uh, aliens or whatever and go to some other planet or astronauts or something. We can't do that. We're in the world, but we're not of it. That's what the warning is saying here. Walk with wise people. Be around spirit-filled people. Now, you can be wise in the worldly sense and be uh, you know, Einstein or whatever, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not about uh, working out E equals MC squared and that'll get you to heaven. God made E equals MC squared. We just worked it out a bit and we think we're clever. That's not the way it works. We've got to be wise in the wisdom of the Lord, the practicalities of life, the revelations of the Word of God, how to handle this, how to respond to that, where to go, where not to go, who to talk to, who not to talk to, how to live our life. There's a whole myriad of things in this book. There are God's rules and regulations about how to live our life. In 2 Corinthians, walk not according to the flesh. Of course not. Because if you do, if you're motivated by the flesh, you'll go under. Walk not after ungodly lusts. Of course not. Walk not disorderly. We're the most orderly people on the planet, aren't we? Yes. Um, not walking in craftiness, handling the word of God to see. That's the way of the course of this world. That's what people do. They, they manipulate the word of God. They say uh, something about it which it doesn't say. They leave bits out. Doesn't Paul say that uh, uh, tongues is you know, foolishness or something or other? He doesn't. You know, they quote and misquote and mishandle and misdirect uh, in all sorts of ways. Walk not after our own devices or the imagination of our evil heart. And boy, does that need to be brought in control. In fact, I read a little saying, I won't get it right now, but somebody famous once said that uh, you can, it's not about the myriad of events that take place in your life and all the happenings that take place in your life. It's about the rushing thoughts that are constantly in your mind that make the person. So I guess that's where the battlefield is. Walk not in lies, walk not with slanders, walk not after other gods. And, and see, and walking around, it's not about necessarily, is it, about fashioning some sort of wooden thing, you know, a little Buddha or something or other, and put it on your mantelpiece and say, you know, this, this thing here. No, the gods of today, many people have such things. They have trinkets and bleeding hearts and pulsating hearts and all sorts of other things, of course. It's not about those things. But our gods can be the things that take priority in our life. It might be a motorbike. Now, we're not necessarily going to put it up on a pedestal. Well, I have seen some people, you know, they sort of, they look at the motor... Careful, who drives a motorbike? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, seeing some people, you know, they get, every time they go past their motorbike, out comes the handkerchief, you know, and, and they push it up and they look at it again, and, and it's sort of in prime, if I don't you go anywhere in my motorbike? And some people actually leave their motorbike actually in the house. 
in the, not in the, not in the house. I've seen that. Motorbike in the lounge room. Where else would you put your guy? Deserves to be in a lounge room, doesn't it? So lots of people can get caught up with all sorts of things that they would say, well, it's not my God, but it is, because it motivates our life. It directs what we're going to do. Don't you dare touch, tamper with my gods, whatever they may be. And I think we had a song, didn't we, at convention about other gods. Uh, our sister Janine did a very good job on Monday. I should just tell you a story, you know, on, it, it, on Monday we, there was a stage, a little stage like this, you see. I'm not sure. I think Janine was sitting in a sort of about there. And, and the idea was that you, there was a, a door like this on the side and they wanted people to come in to, to look professional, I'm sure. They wanted all the performers and, and, and the testimony people and speakers and so, to come in here. So they, they invented a green room following up from the convention and you had to sort of go out, go down there, walk outside. I think it was outside, wasn't it, Janine? All the way outside, yes, all the way outside. Come all the way around the other side and come into the green door here so that you could then open the door and walk across and, you know, and, and sing. Except that Janine was singing down there. So that's where she was singing. Picture this. And she was sitting there. Sitting there. Singing there. To get from there to there, she had to go via the moon. <laughs> Outside, hail. Was it hailing? Probably. Well, let's make it hailing. Why we make it hailing? It was hailing. The winds were lashing. She came in. She's got a cold now. Look, she's coughing. It was Perth's fault. She could have got up there and walked across to there. Oh, no. Now, I don't know, why did I get onto that? No idea. Anyway, uh, let's go over to, uh, where we go, to Ephesians, uh, oh no, we're still in Ephesians 4. Uh, I don't know what, there's a, some story about that, think about it, it'll come to you. Um, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. No, we certainly haven't. Uh, let's take the direct path from there to there and do it the Lord's way. It's got nothing to do with anything, but we'll try and make it fit. Uh, you have not so learned Christ. We've, we've learned a different way to do things now. The world generally has got a whole range of things that it, it, uh, it superimposes upon us. And we've got to make our stand against that. It says in uh, chapter 5, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Follow God's example. He's the one charging ahead. He's the one who's walking. His life is the one we want to emulate. Copy him, it says. And verse 8, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. If you're light in the Lord, and we are light in the Lord, that's a, that's a transaction that God has done for us. God has filled us with the Holy Ghost. God has translated us now already from darkness to light. He's done that. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. You're now new children. But what does it say in the next uh, sentence, or the next part of that same sentence? Walk as children of light. Since God has called you alongside, since God is walking on, and he's, of course, charging on to the glorious kingdom and future and destiny he's got in store for us, he says, walk with me. And he says, walk in light, therefore, because after all, God is light. And so if you walk with him, you walk in light. We have a different reaction altogether as a spirit-filled people. You know, it, it just reminds me of the example of the Old Testament. Remember 12 spies went in to have a look at the promised land, 12 of them. Same sort of flesh and blood people except there was a vast difference, not in what they saw, but how they walked. Ten of them weren't really walking with God, but two were, Joshua and Caleb. And so the ten that weren't really walking with God, who were seeing things after the flesh, saw the improbabilities and the impossibilities and the demanding, overwhelming circumstances they were confronted with, they dwelt on that, they brooded on that, and it produced in them unbelief. And as they continued to dwell on that, it produced fear. And as they continued to dwell on that, it produced rebellion. 
Now that's the ways of the world. Unbelief, fear and rebellion. But Joshua and Caleb, who saw the same things, heard something that God had said. They all heard it. I give you the promised land. Go and possess it. They all heard that. But Joshua and Caleb believed it. And their belief overrun all of the rest of it. Their faithfulness said, well, there's a lot of enemies. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of difficulties to possess, possess this promised land. But God said, and we are well able. So their thinking and their attitude, their walking with God, produced something totally different altogether. It produced faith. It produced uh, courage. It produced obedience. Walking in the flesh produces unbelief, fear, and rebellion. Walking in the spirit, walking with God, produces faith, courage, and obedience to the word of God. And at the end of the day, it produces the possession of the promised land. It produces translation. It produces protection from the destruction the world's got in mind for us. Let's go down, uh, continuing on, verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Have no fellowship with it at all. No fellowship, it says. That means we've got to be pretty careful, doesn't it? Don't flirt with the world. Don't see how close you can get to the edge. Don't see how much you can get away with how much you can do that will sort of still keep you more or less with us. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And down in verse 15, see then you walk circumspectly. That's how we're called to walk. Walk with God circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, of course. Let me just quote you a verse. Uh, we're talking there about the 12 spies. And let's talk about how eventually they were just wandering through the wilderness. Uh, and by the way, Joshua and Caleb were described as having another spirit who followed me fully, God said. Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord fully. The other ten were seeing all the problems and difficulties and they weren't walking with God at all. But it, it says here in Numbers chapter 20, this is uh, Moses speaking, let us pass, I pray thee. He's talking about, remember the countries that had to go through and he just was talking to the people in those countries. Let I pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed your borders. Now think about that. Note it has application and what uh, uh, they were going to say to these people. We're not going to sort of destroy your vineyards. We're not going to take your fruit or something or other. We just want to get from here to there. But as a message for us, surely, we're going from A to B. We're, we're, just, we're sojourners. We're strangers. And it's not a question of vineyards and fields and, and drinking out of wells, but there's a message there surely about how much you get attached to this world. In other words, there were, it was easy, I suppose, for the people of Moses' time to sort of see the vineyards and be attracted by them, to see the wells and want to really get into it, to see the fields and partake of it. But they have to have their sights set. We're, we're not here. Don't look to the left or the right. How many times we hear that in the gifts? I wonder why. Because we can look to the left and the right and we might see fields and vineyards and wells that appeal to us, that have got shining lights that attract us, that might draw us aside. The Bible's saying, you keep your eyes focused on me. If you're going to walk with me, don't meander into fields. Don't wander off into paddocks. 
Don't go off half-baked into other parts of your life. Just keep yourself fixed in what you're going to do. That's the message because we've got to, we're just going on the king's highway. We sing about that. There's a highway there and a way. We, we sing the path that we're going on. We're walking with the Lord. The Lord's not meandering off. The Lord is fixed. The moment God said in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, uh, let there be, he had in mind the kingdom, which we're going to be part of. He hasn't changed his course. He hasn't changed his mind. When he said it repenteth me, it doesn't mean that he got it wrong. He's just letting us know this is part of his uh, process. Every step that God has taken all the way through has had one thought in mind. New heavens, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, and you and me with him. That's what he had in mind all the way through. So he hasn't changed. So we must make sure that we don't change. The Bible talks to us about walking in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Notice how it puts that. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It doesn't actually say if you try to overcome the lusts of your flesh, you'll be able to walk in the spirit. No, what it's saying to us is saturate your soul in the spirit of the Lord and you won't have time or inclination to do anything else. If you are walking with God, it's like anything, you know. If you, I said, I said at the convention, you know, about we're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air and uh, meet the Lord in the air. You know, have you met any famous person? You know, well, uh, I don't know whether you have. You might have met some famous person. You might have got the autograph, you know, of Elvis Presley if you're an old person. Or something. Um, I don't know why you do that. Anyway, uh, there's lots of things we could do. I, I, I mentioned at the convention that I got within 15 metres of Eddie Maguire once, you know, which was about as close as a famous person I can get to. But you might meet a famous person. Just imagine if you had an audience with a famous person. You know, someone said, oh, well, I mean, you might not think it's all that big deal, but let's just pick someone, the Queen. So the Queen said, look, I'm going to talk to you, uh, Victor. I want you to come around, have a tea and scones uh, with me, Victor, and we're gonna, you've got an hour with me. Now, I don't know whether Victor could care two hoots about seeing the Queen, but let's just say Victor does want to see the Queen. That's been his lifelong dream and ambition. And so the moment has come, he's going to sit with the Queen. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to sort of uh, get your Game Boy out or something or other and fiddle around with that when the Queen's sitting there? You're going to wander off and see what's on television? This is your hour. This is your big moment. You're going to take advantage of that. Now, we are walking with God. We've got God at our disposal, as it were. I don't know whether you ever go. You might not go walking with someone. You might go put those things on you, you know, and, and power on with this, I don't know whether it's music or you listen to the cricket or what you're doing, you know. Uh, I, I, when I do any of this, if I ever do any of this, I, I would listen to, you know, probably the, the sports program or something like that. You know, that'll keep me occupied. So, so you might have your little thing. So you, you're talking to someone or listening to someone, but if you've got, you know, the queen walking along with you, she says, oh, let's take the corgis and we'll go for a stroll. You know, so you've got 19 corgis and, you're, and she's walking along with you and, and you're chatting to the queen if that's a big deal you, you substitute the person you'd like to talk to the most right next to you how about Jesus you're walking along with Jesus what are you going to be talking about the football what do you reckon God Collingwood got any hope in the future do they win a game in the kingdom Surely we'd be preoccupied with just so much stuff. be overwhelming us. We'd be just saturated with it. Now, I guess because we've got so many other things happening to us, we can't always do that now. But that's the message, though. Saturate your soul in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Of course not. I've just got a few things down here. Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. We should walk in newness of life. Let us walk honestly as in the day. These are all worth uh, quoting, no doubt. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. The, the real, what it's about is changing our focus, uh, really totally uh, from us and the flesh, 
to the Lord. Someone just today handed me this little article just as we came in the meeting today. It's actually about a football coach or something. It doesn't really matter. But this was a, a, a person describing this person's life. And it's just a football coach, all right? Everything he did, this football coach, from weights to training and his diet, he was totally committed to being the best he could be. He was different. He had a vision. He knew where he was going. The paths he took were always planned for him to get the better, to be better, to get better, and to be successful later in life. Now that's just natural stuff. Think about that. It's not bad words. If we think about ourselves, would we not like God to sort of say that about us? Everything Victor did, now not from weights and training and such, but spiritual exercise and his spiritual diet, he was totally committed to being the best saint he could be. He was different. He had a vision. He knew where he was going. The paths he walked were always planned for him to get better and to be a better person in the Lord. All the people said? Is that the way of it? I think it should be. And that's what the Bible's telling us here, get, get our focus. Now, I think we can do better, all of us, from time to time. Now, I just wondered, you know, you come back from convention and you hear little bits and pieces and so on, uh, our prayer life. Because after all, we're talking about walking with God. We're talking about establishing a relationship with God. We're talking about having habitual fellowship with God. We're talking about getting closer, just a closer walk with thee. I could sing that, uh, just a closer walk with thee. That's what it's about. No good singing it. Let's do it. So our prayer life, do we have a prayer life? And by prayer life, I don't mean 30 seconds as you're just about to hop into the shower. I mean, you might do that. You might pray that you don't get scolded or something. Uh, We're talking here about maybe some consistent prayer life. What's the figure? How do you work on it? The Lord said, could you not just pray an hour with me? But well, let's just say half an hour. I don't know whether we all do this, but I think we all ought to do this. All of us for our own good, for walking the Lord, and for the good of our brothers and sisters and for good of revival. Every one of us should make sure, not as a a law, not as a ritual, not as some legalistic thing, but we should pray at least half an hour a day. At least. If you want to do it in two 15-minute sessions, well, so be it. So why don't we do that? Why don't we think about that and say, oh, I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to make sure you're number one in my life, and I'm going to talk to you, and I want to build up my relationship with you I'm going to from now on without fail make it part of my daily walk with you to pray for at least half an hour I'm not going to ask you but I think it's a reasonable thing to do the Bible says pray without ceasing that sounds a bit more than half an hour but still let's go for half an hour good deal? is it a deal? let's see what we can do another one is about reading our Bible do you ever open your Bibles from one meeting to the next? maybe you've got another Bible at home Maybe you've got several Bibles, so you've got lots of them. What about our daily reading process? Some people discipline themselves by buying a daily Bible where you can look up and it tells you to read these Proverbs, these Psalms, and you know a bit of the New Testament or the Old Testament. That's not a bad idea if you want to do that. That will cost you... The... Have we got any of those in the bookstore, those daily walk things? We might have. Check out there. You can buy them anyway. Uh, a daily Bible, which tells you how much to do, and you read your stuff from January the 1st, and you read through December the whatever, and, and you'll, you'll read the whole Bible in that year. Now, you don't have to do that. That sounds very legalistic and, uh, and regulated and so on, but well, shouldn't our life be regulated in the Lord? 
The Bible says that uh, Daniel prayed morning, noon and evening. You know, well, he got regulated in his life. Uh, he also studied the word of God. And the Bible says to, to study the word of God, to show yourself a man approved of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we're supposed to do it. Now, was it you do it because what, what I'm saying is on the platform? No, I'm just reminding you our walk in the Lord has got to be a relationship with the Lord and a relationship with the Lord is about talking to him and talking with him and being with him and reading his word, finding out his will. I'm not suggesting how long you should read. I think you should read the Bible on a regular basis. Meetings, could we do better as far as meetings are concerned? Are we doing the bare minimum or could we lift our game a little bit? Is there a meeting during the week you don't come to that you might think about coming to? might make a bit of an effort because the Bible says don't forsake the fellowship of yourselves together and it's not just about that it's about every time you come you'll hear a testimony you'll hear some gifts you'll hear a, an opportunity to, to perhaps look up the word of God and so on so there's opportunities so there's lots of things that maybe we could look at and think well could I do a little better what about witnessing could we do a bit better are we a little fearful a little apprehensive don't we believe what we've got could we do better that's all I'm saying in our walk with the Lord praying reading fellowshipping are all part of it could we lift our game a little bit is there somebody we've let go a little bit is there somebody we really could muscle in a bit more and uh, and maybe send them a card or knock on their door or ring them up is it i'm sure there are people what about an extra one a week just to see whether we could really home in on somebody maybe gonna have a daily walk maybe could ask the lord give me one a day what about uh, how we're doing with encouraging people. Are we encouraging people? I mean, Catherine's down here from, uh, uh, from Adelaide. You know, are we going to make a point? Are we, we just forgotten Catherine? You know, she gave a test me, bad luck. You know, goodbye, Catherine. Um, or are we going to say hello to Catherine afterwards? And, hello, Catherine, good to see you, you know. Hope you're having you like a cup of tea or something, you know. Yeah. Make her feel welcome. Right, that's okay, Catherine. You're probably alone and doesn't want anybody to come near you. But anyway, um, she'll soon tell you to get lost. Um, so, so we, we, are we thinking about that? Are we encouraging one another? Are we mindful of one another? Are we, are we thoughtful about how are other people going? Are we so preoccupied we don't think about anybody else? Walking with God is thinking about the other person, their position in the Lord, how they're going, loving them and caring for them. Are we serving? Are, are we prepared to roll up our sleeves for the Lord? Last night, some people made some popcorn for us. We've got popcorn coming out our ears today. It's unbelievable. We've got uh, lollies. We've got, uh, uh, what else did we have last night? We had chips. Chips. We almost got to open a shop last night. Uh, we almost did. We had some drink as well. So uh, there's lots of people who, who are prepared to pitch in and help us in various departments and make things for us and so on. Just see, are you, you, you ask yourself the question, am I serving the Lord in a capacity that I should be? Am I helping my brothers and sisters as I should be? Am I walking with God as I'm supposed to be? Am I just thinking about myself mainly? Is it, me, is it my cup of tea I've got to get? Or are you just mindful of others, you know, and maybe seeing how they're going first? Maybe even forsaking a cup of tea, just so you can go and talk to someone, have some prayer with someone or whatever. Uh, so all, all the practicalities. This is just our day-to-day our, our -day involvement. There's a lot more, obviously, but it's walking with God embraces, I suppose, Genesis to Revelation, really, and the practicalities of it. You know, some people have objected to the... I deliberately dropped in the word, words rules and regulations today because some people hate those words. They hate them with a passion, as if somehow or other they were evil. The book, this book in front of you, as you've got on your lap now, if you've got it on your lap, is full of rules and regulations. Are they arbitrary? Are they draconian? Are they just 
purely just to make life difficult for you and you pick up a book and go well God's done it again you know now he's taken this away from me and that away from me it's just a it's just a rotten miserable life I've got here in the spirit and God is obviously doesn't understand this one little bit he's never been down here he doesn't know what uh, what I've got to put up he doesn't know my car my wife my house my job my body my life he'd, is that how we think? Is that how we operate? Is it, do we believe that God is just making up rules and regulations? Is that what he did in the Old Testament? Just a whole lot of laws just to make life difficult? You know, as much as the laws were, were quite demanding and so on, they were a good purpose. God didn't have any laws back then which were actually sort of just made up things because he just, well, what, what can I think of next? They were how to live your life back then. I tell you something. If people could live their life according to the law, they would be perfect. Absolutely perfect. There was no fault in the law whatsoever there is never any fault in God's rules and regulations ever the problem is we don't like them we don't want to abide by them we don't want to respond to them we don't like uh, an imposition upon ourselves we don't like people telling us what to do the Bible says humble yourself and then you can walk with God that's how it works become teachable become uh, uh, reasonable in your approach don't argue and don't debate look at the word of God and respond to it and do those an imposition so sometimes we have little guidelines I suppose about how we live our life generally in the Lord they're all designed for the practical application of the wisdom of God so that we can walk with God in harmony with God consistently with God and we've got a destination the good thing in Isaiah it says when you pass through the waters that is when you're walking through the waters God said I will be with you when you walk through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, it says in Isaiah 43, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. If you're walking with God, you heck, how safe could you be? I mean, if, you, I, mean I, if I was going to go to an unsafe place, I'd take George with me. You would too. You'd, just, you'd, feel, you'd feel a bit, you know, if I was walking down the back alleys of New York, not that we do that, but let's uh, say we are, and George is with me, I'd walk confidently. He's me mate touch me and he'll get you is that right George you would wouldn't you, you would protect me George wouldn't you I'm not going if you don't protect me if you've got God walking with you how safe are you now of course if you meander off all over the place if your mind and your body and your thoughts and your ideas and your approaches and your way of life is all over the place well you might cross paths with God occasionally but if you walk with God you know you're safe every way it doesn't matter whether you pass through the waters whether you pass through the rivers whether you walk in the flames people like David and Daniel and, uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and people like Paul and Silas they've all been in these places and all been wonderfully taken care of that's the promise and at the end of the day if we walk with the Lord we are totally guaranteed a future not only are we protected now the Lord will take care of us do we believe that? by faith we walk it says that walk by faith not by sight walk in the knowledge that if George said okay Pastor Darrell you want to go to New York I'll take you to New York and I'll look after you off we go he said he's going to look after me George said he's going to lay down his life for me did you say that George? Uh, I'll fight him to the death for you Pastor Darrell how confident can you be you know you walk down you just <laughs> you know you're pushing people aside. get him George Sick him, George. God's 
with us. And God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we're not being silly. We're not going to go down the street and sort of, a, uh, sort of rough up some bully guy and say, well, God will get you. It doesn't quite, quite work like that. What it means is as we go through life, come in, Solomon. It's all right. Solomon's from Adelaide too. He's up behind time, I think. There's a seat down here next to Gabriel. I'm sorry to make, you know, but this is Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon is just walking in. He's from Adelaide. Say hello to him afterwards too. Catherine, do you know Solomon? You do know Solomon? There's Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Solomon. Sorry to put, a, put you on the spot like that, Solomon. That's okay. You're just in time for afternoon tea, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm having trouble now, aren't I? Um, where was I? Yes, we're not going to be silly with all that, but the Lord is saying to us, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I won't let you go. I'm going to take care of you. If you walk with me, we walk into new territory. We walk into the kingdom of God. We walk into a new destiny and, a, and, and an age is to come. In fact, we just finished. We started in Revelation. We'd better go to so in Genesis. We'll go to Revelation. Revelation 21. We might as well finish up here somewhere. Yes, I better finish. Uh, let me just finish uh, with uh, the, the theme of the convention was a new beginning. And that's what we're heading towards. A bra- we've got a new beginning now in the Lord, but we've got a, a brand new beginning to come. It says here... Uh, in verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, take note of this, sit up and take notice. I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God said, If you walk with me now, through the waters, through the rivers, through the fire, whatever it takes, you are guaranteed to be with me forever. That's what the promise is. And by faith we believe that. And by faith we'll be translated. And by faith uh, being warned of God, we've built ourselves an ark. We're in the church now. And, and, and we are doing the requirements of God now. And if we need to just sort of discipline ourselves a little bit more for certain prayer and reading and meetings and, and fellowship and involvement and encouragement and serving and helping, whatever we have to do, we'll do it, of course. Because at the end of the line, we rise to meet the Lord in the air. At the end of the line, we are going to, in fact, it says in uh, what verse, is it? verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. You and I, at the end of the day, are going to walk the streets of gold, as it were are going to open the doors which are huge, big uh, pearls or something, whatever they are. Just this glorious, almost inconceivable uh, uh, promise that the Lord has in store for us. We're going to enter into that. But you only enter into that if you're holding the hand of God as you walk through life. Walk with God. Make it a determined effort to walk with Him and talk with Him and share with Him and love Him and care for the people that He has chosen to be His own. Get involved and just rejoice. It's not a matter of how many, it's a matter of how much that we are prepared to forsake all else and serve Him. Because if we do, translation, and George was not because God took him. I'm not sure he's going to do that. Because it's going to be a little bit harder to pick up, George. But anyway, uh, the Lord's probably got something in store there. Uh, A helicopter, not one of the New York variety, because I'll just go crashing down. But somehow or other, the Lord's going to come down and pick George up. Boy, what what a sight that'll be. And we're all going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. I mentioned it at the convention, as we always do. It's my little favourite scripture, as you well know. 
But to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up in the Greek means to be seized up. I prefer to be rocketed up. And that's the word. If it was a modern translation, if it was a Williams translation, it would be, and you shall be rocketed up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall you ever be with the Lord. Rocketed up. Rocketed up. Concords, get out of your way. That's our, that's our glorious hope. The Lord is coming back for us. Provided one thing, you keep walking with God. All the people said.